Um, we're looking at we're looking at First John, and we're recording now, right? We are recording now. Uh, this is uh, lesson five, which is life. Uh, I suspect more people finished their homework this week because it was a lot less, or maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Somebody tell me about light, which is our last lesson. It's been six weeks, five weeks. It's Hasidic. It's totally Hasidic. What does that mean, though? I mean, what, what's the significance of knowing that a man like the Alter Rebbe in the 18th century wrote some things that seem very, very, very similar to John, both the Gospel of John and the Epistle and the Epistles of John? What's the significance of that? They're both thinking Hebraically, and there's tradition, there's long tradition that is a philosophical tradition, no question, but that is outside the Greek philosophical mindset. doesn't mean that all philosophy is outside Greek is good, because there's actually not some good stuff like Confucianism or whatever else. But the point is, this philosophy was drawing from a common tradition. A common way of looking at scripture. We know that when we read the Targumim, the Targums, like Targum, uh, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan, or Ankalas. If you have a Chumash, you have Ankalas. You may not know that, but it's actually in your Chumash. It's part of the Hebrew text as the commentary. Ankalas, uh, who is a proselyte, by the way. Uh, Ankalas is actually applying a tradition to the text. So he's, you're reading a paraphrase when you read a Targum. You're reading a paraphrase, God bless you. You're reading a, a paraphrase, and the paraphrase brings in traditions. What, what, uh, what in seminary they'd call you hermeneutic traditions, you know, ways of reading the text. And we know that's not even it at all. But when you read John's use of the word light, you do see some of those same things. Some of the same things that you would read in, in Targum Ankalos. We certainly saw that in, in, uh, in Tanya. Um, not that everything in Tanya is good, but there are certainly some connections there. Why would I want you to see that, though? Why do you think I wanted you to see that in our study of John, First John? Change our perspective. Why, why is it important for you to change your perspective? I mean, I'm not saying you did change your perspective, but why would you think I would think it's important that you might want to change your perspective? We want to know. We want to know not what John taught um, Calvin or Augustine or uh, uh, you know Irenaeus or anybody else. We want to know what John received and then transmitted. Right? That's what we want. Why did Why did would he transmit? Concepts that are not pure biblical, purely biblical. Well, if it's not in the Bible, I don't really care. That's what people say. If it's not really there. I wouldn't really care. John, you know, in in reading the quotes that from Tanya and other places, you've you've seen that there are traditions, uh, interpret interpretive traditions that are giving you some concepts that are not pure biblical. But when you put it all together, you go, "Oh, wait, maybe that is what the scripture is speaking about." You know what I'm saying? What does that? I mean, it, it kind of lends you to believe that God speaks in the language of men. He uses men like John with his unique, his unique life, his unique experiences to transmit truth. So embedded in John may be human elements, but it's 100% divinely inspired. Does that make sense? 
Whereas Tanya is not divinely inspired. However, by reading those other texts and trying to see it from a different perspective other than, other than Calvin's or Luther's or whoever else's, maybe we were missing not all the message, but some of the important parts of the message. By looking at it from another angle, from a Jewish tradition, we're able to actually see that there's some important things that we learned about light. What is light? Is light about information? Light is not about information. And when the scriptures use light to speak to us about truth, to speak to us about a walk and a kingship, kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness, we're not talking about information. The Greek mind, the philosophical approach, the seminary approach is light is information. You know, how many times, uh, if, you, if you grew up in a Christian church, how many times did you hear, you know, we need to take our head knowledge and make it heart knowledge. That's just nonsense. That's just nonsense. How did anybody get in the position where they said head knowledge versus heart knowledge? Right. Right. I, thought, I thought the knowledge, and we haven't gotten to knowledge yet in First John, but I thought knowledge was about relationship. Right? Light is about relationship. So, is there any doubt that life would be about relationship as well? Unlike the Greek Western philosophical understanding of light, Scripture always use, speaks of it as, as a relationship, namely the relationship between God and man. We heard a great drosh this last Shabbat from, from Rav Shemi about the skin that covered Adam and Chava. Adam and Chava traditionally had a skin that covered them, that they weren't naked as it was, they were, but they weren't in the same way that we would imagine it because you couldn't see. Why? Because it was light. That's a remarkable thing you think about it. How did that work into this picture? Assuming the tradition has some basis of fact, we don't know. But assuming it does, how does that work with light? They're clothed in the relationship they have with God. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. yeah. It's always about relationship. And we see that, well, God and light. Uh, <laughs> scriptural use is always about relationship, namely relationship between God and I think something's wrong there. Talk about life. We're gonna also, we're gonna see again that this this disparity between the modern religious view of life and scripture itself. I think this way that I approached it when I started it. Right. Let's uh, let's do some Bible walking if you don't mind. And I'll I'll pick out some scripture. I'll pick out the scriptures here. And somebody want to read uh, Daniel twelve twelve two. Somebody has it. Okay. Please. Speak up. <laughs> and now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings are going to arise in Persia. Well, that's 11. 12. That's a good verse, too, though. <laughs> that's my use. Use what I do. 12 2. 12 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Okay, so is. is do we have any? Do we have an eternal soul? Is it just about existence here? Is existence or life? There's two wakings in this. This verse has two wakings. One's a resurrection to everlasting life, and then there's also an awakening. It's awakening to what does it say? It's like everlasting, everlasting contempt. contempt. The quality is going to be really crummy. Like crummy quality. <laughs> but there's two wakings. It's a resurrection. They're yes. Both resurrected. Both resurrected, yes. yes. What I found interesting about this particular use of um, and contempt and disgrace 
is some of the connection that you in your homework you mentioned also going to Isaiah and looking at um, this is they'll go out of the city and see the dead bodies of the wicked. You know, when the worm dies not, the fire is not. And we're gonna look at that one as well. Yeah. And um I'll see it. I'm sorry, that's all right. But just sort of the idea of thinking of it as dishonor. You know, in, in Western Western thought, we oftentimes think of everything in terms of pleasure or happiness. But from a Hebrew perspective, honor and dishonor are extremely important. Very good. And we see from this that the righteous, God honors them. It's not a matter of pride. It's an honoring that actually gives God glory. And the wicked are dishonored. Mm. Very good. That's right. There you go. Man, he did just now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to look at this passage again here in a moment, so we'll come back to it. First John two twenty four through twenty five. Who wants to read that? Well, you haven't memorized it. It's First John, come on. <laughs> go ahead. Okay, so what is it saying? Eternal life is promised. To whom? To whom is eternal life promised? Those who abide in Him. Now, I, want to, I don't want to be overly critical here, but translate that into Christianese for me real quickly. If you're saved, you get eternal life. Okay, well, that may be a little bit of a problem, but we do use those terms, but that's not... I think saved is a better one. Okay, saved, you get eternal life. That's it. It's like, okay, join the club. You get eternal life. Okay? So it's part of the deal. Package deal. And it implies that if you don't, not eternal. Exactly. Exactly. But, and we're going to get to it again, we'll go deeper, but tell me right off the bat, what does the verse say? What you heard in the beginning abides in you, and then you will abide in the Son and the Father. And if you abide in the Son and the Father, promise is eternal life. Okay? Now, good Calvinism says that's perseverance of the saints. In other words, if I just stick it out, I get eternal life. <laughs> right? I mean, seriously, isn't that, isn't that what it means? Yeah, it's like, okay, so as long as you stay faithful, you get eternal life. But is that what that means? I, ho- I hope not. John 10, I'll read this one. John 10, 10, because it's short. I have come that they may have life. This is Yeshua speaking. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So, are we having existence or life? Well, clearly, that's talking about prosperity. All right, all right. We have a certain brand of Christianity now that's taking that one up. Yeah. That's right. That's right. All right, good. That's good. So is all this talk about eternal life, about going to heaven? That one was cut off too. All this talk about going, uh, having eternal life, going to heaven, or is it something more immediate? Yeah. It's something there. Okay. And you know, the word immediate just came off my fingers, just without even thinking. The word immediate. 
Escape or endure. Now, here's the problem. And I set this up for you. And I mean, this obviously I have a bias, and I'm kind of hoping you see the same bias, that you have the same bias as mine. No, no. I'm hoping that you can see maybe possibly that there's another way of reading these scriptures. But classical Christianity is replete with escapism. And a perfect example, not, not, to, not to downplay or, or to mock others, but a perfect example is the rapture. It's perfect. I mean, it really is perfect. Especially a dispensation, a real dispensational rapture where, okay, God had a people, they blew it. He isn't done with them, except for a while he is. And then he has like a new people, okay? And he, they're here. This is the church age after all. It actually says that. It says the church age, right? I mean, it's right there in Revelation chapter 11. It talks about the church age. <laughs> Almost does, but not quite. <laughs> Theologically, there's no question. It just, just says that. Okay? Okay, so there's a church age. And then... Just before, okay, okay, it's time, yeah. God's going to take his people back as he can have two people at once. And then he's going to reestablish Israel as his people. And it's like, wow, this is, everybody's going to freak out and the whole world's going to understand that God fulfills his promises. Right, after abrogating them. After, exactly right. So, uh, now, honestly, there's some really well-meaning people. And, you know, to be compared to supersessionists or replacement theologies, it's certainly preferable. But the point is that either way, God is not fulfilling his promises. It, it, that's exactly right. Deuteronomy 24. That's, you know... A, but they're going to pull out the Isaiah passages that say that he divorced them and gave them over. But he didn't marry somebody else. But now, 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 we picked on dispensationalists, but what about replacement theology? The whole notion of, of the, the holy church building cathedrals is because their existence was miserable. And they wanted people to escape. Look, it's heavenly. Woo! You know, I mean, it's all about the, the ever after. You know, you're, you know, here's, the Bible is about reward for the, for the, for the just. I'm sorry, y'all aren't being rewarded. So let me just tell you, it's coming later. Right? And look, here's the proof. There's a cathedral. Doesn't that look heavenly? Look, that's what you'll get. Everybody gets one when they get to heaven, right? He's building you a mansion. I was told, oh, careful, it's only a room in the mansion. Yeah. Right? Escapism. Judaism does not teach escape in suffering. It's a, it's a dramatic change. Now, there's no one in the history of the world, no one, now, there are groups of people that have suffered more for periods of time, but for the history of man, there's no group in the world that has suffered like Judaism. Nobody. Israelites from Abraham on have suffered because they were God's chosen people. You wrote, Judaism does not teach escape, but endurance. It teaches endurance. I think it should say, Judaism does not teach or practice escape. That's, that, I agree with that. I agree with that. Well, one of the great things about Judaism is they don't teach it if they don't practice it. <laughs> Whereas Christianity, we go, well, you know, we teach this, but we don't do it. <laughs> so the eschatological, this is the truth. Now listen, the, eschatolo the eschatological theme. What's the eschatological theme for Christianity in general is escape. We're going to heaven someday. What is the eschatological theme of Judaism? Here's coming here. Not about escape, it's about repairing the world. Tikkun olam. Now, Hasidic says, you know, God scattered into sparks and we need to gather them up. Okay, no matter how you look at it though, it's about getting the work done here so that he can be glorified. Whether you agree with it or not, that's the ultimate goal. In other words, whether we agree with all of the methods or all the, all the interpretations, that's the ultimate goal is that we are supposed to be light here 
so that he can be revealed as king, and he will be, physically. Not just, he's not, he's not just king of my life, he's going to be king in Jerusalem, right? That's the immediacy. So, uh, what, I, what I put down here is, Judaism is active perseverance. Not to negate the Calvinist perseverance, because I like that too, but the point is, it's active perseverance. It's not just getting by and hoping, you know, not just hoping. Okay, I'm never going to lose my faith, I keep, hold, I keep trusting, I keep trusting, I keep trusting, until after the day I die, then I get my reward. That's not active perseverance. That is passive perseverance. That's not to say that there are righteous people doing that. It's just that mindset is not an active mindset. The mindset of Judaism is that it's active perseverance. And they were just about repairing the world. The world cannot be worse. My world cannot be worse when I leave. I'm supposed to improve it. Okay? Now that seems very works oriented. So, let me encourage you that it is. <laughs> well, didn't the master say that we should hasten Absolutely. Of course, absolutely. And ironically, now Judaism does also believe, and when I say Judaism, I'm speaking of broad swaths here, but Judaism also believes that the world's going to get worse, not better. So in preparing in tikkun olam, there's a certain measure of recognizing that the harder I work, the worse it may seem. And in fact, the Messiah won't come until there's no faith left. That's... You know, all of Judaism, I mean, it's the dichotomy. All Judaism, if they keep one Shabbat, Messiah will come back, and yet the world has to be utterly corrupt. We talked about for the, for the leper. We re- saw this last week in, in uh, uh, Prasha Mitzorah, that until the leper's completely covered, then he's considered pure. When the world's completely sinful, Messiah will return. The escape thing of classical Christianity has possibly skewed our perspective of life. Because I have this life, and then I have another life, right? Well, actually, no, the danger is that we forget about this life. Well, no, not, about the life. not completely. We're still living it. Every person gets up, you know, the person that believes in predestination gets up and puts his pants on one leg at a time. But I guess he doesn't just wait for them to jump on him. They don't. <laughs> the danger is not living for this life, but living for the next life in such a way this life becomes irrelevant. Not so heavenly minded, they're not earthly good. Yes, absolutely. Very good. Don't apply the next life to this life. This was an exercise. Now, if you are going to be an active participant in Messianic Judaism, you need to know that Judaism has difficulties with the punishment side. The contempt side. They believe in a reward for the righteous in most, in, in most cases. They believe in a reward for the righteous. But in most cases, they have a difficult, difficulty with a punishment for the wicked. It's sufficient to say the wicked will be annihilated. Now, because many Messianics also come from, many, some Messianics also come from a Seventh-day Adventist background, you can see that this is something that you need to be armed to be able to convince and to teach what Scripture teaches. And Scripture teaches as the Pharisees of the first century taught, there's a reward for the righteous and there's punishment for the wicked. And it's not just dying and, being, and going away. My mind, you said the same thing? Yes, he did. Unfortunately, modern Judaism doesn't like to bring all that up. So when I say Judaism, I should have said modern Judaism. Yeah. Because the Talmud speaks of it as well. Although the Talmud speaks of it more at various points, almost like a purgatory for 12 months. Okay, 13 months. Okay, maybe 15 months. The wicked suffer for 15 months. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> but, however, 
the Talmud also teaches very clearly that, that Korach and all of those that followed him descended into the pit alive and remain there to this day. Wow. So, is the soul of man eternal? These are the scriptures I had you look up. Daniel 12, 1 through 2. We just, we just read that, right? Yep. Everlasting life versus everlasting shame. There's no question. There's like good and bad here. You, you know, you're faithful, everlasting life. Uh, you're unfaithful, everlasting contempt. That's it. Uh, Isaiah 66 was the next one. Joshua, you want to read that one, 22 through 24? For just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I make, will endure before me, declares the Lord, so your offspring and your name will endure. And it shall be from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath. Oh, wait, that's still there. All mankind will come to bow down before me, says the Lord. Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm will not die, and their fire will not be quenched. And they will be in abhorrence, that's the same word we saw from Daniel, or related at least, to all mankind. Well, what do I care if I don't rot? You know, I'm gone. I don't, I don't suffer anymore. I, what do I care if I don't rot? Which de- defies the point of a abhorrence or contempt. Or who cares, well, right? Clearly in Daniel 2, people care. And the worm dies not, I think, is important because you're thinking about the thing, not to be overly graphic here, talking about a corpse that doesn't decay. That's right. But, but not just a corpse that doesn't decay that's unconscious is my point. Yeah, because the because why would you care if this contempt? Right. Very exactly. Yeah. I mean, in Hebrew thinking, in biblical thinking, that a dead body that's not buried is an incredible dishonor. Yes, it is. I mean, that was the whole idea behind not leaving a, a corpse hung on a tree overnight. Why? Why is it? Why is it a dishonor to the Judaism of today? Why is it? Why is it a dishonor not to bury even your enemy? Even the wicked. Why? From the beginning, we know that the body returns to dust. That's true, but if it's dust, who cares? <clears throat> Why? The, uh, the greatest honor you can show a man is to bury him. No question about it. The greatest honor you can show a man is to bury him. It's one of the greatest mitzvahs. So, how does that relate to this? I mean, it's like, okay, so why is that a great mitzvah? God is dishonoring him. God's dishonoring but I shouldn't. Why do we wash, as Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians, why do we wash the dead? He says baptize, which, told, which, tells, which, te, which tells the Mormons to go crazy on it, right? <laughs> They're baptizing Jews that are dead. But <laughs> they don't know he's supposed to wash their body. <laughs> but, but why? I mean, why? Why do we do that? Even the wicked, we want, we want that. We do want that. Why? He says because man is made in the image of God. He's turning to dust, but he's made in the image of God. But he's not going to stay dust is the point. Right? So by dishonoring what God created is saying that he won't recreate it. You're calling a liar. You are. Because you care for the dead body is saying that you believe in a resurrection. People say, well, it doesn't matter. I'll be dead. You don't cremate me. I don't care. It's like, I'm sorry. No. The body is going to be reconstituted. You're saying God's a liar. By the way, if you have family members that were cremated... I'm sorry, but don't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I told my wife, you're going to have to bury me in 24 hours because I'll start to stink. <laughs> With Isaiah, we see here is God's statement. And this is a pretty powerful statement. Think about it. By leaving the corpses there, it is a statement saying there is no more resurrection. That's right. You had your chance. Excellent over. point. Excellent point. 
very good point. Which kind of takes the purgatory thing out of there, too. Everlasting shame. That's right. Uh, let's go to the next one, Matthew 13. I'll read this one, 41 through 43. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness. Okay, escapism. Give me the, give me the truth on escapism right there. Who leaves? Believe. Who leaves here? He's pulling out the bad stuff, not the good stuff. The good are not... By the way, if you ever read Matthew 24 in the way that it was actually written, it's like, okay, like Noah, they stayed, the wicked left. (laughs) It's not talking about a rapture. You know, one man, two men were walking up a hill, one stood still. You know, it's like, what was the song? I wish we'd all been ready, right? You know. Do you understand? You want to be the one... It's like, you, you want to be the one left behind. The book was wrong. <laughs> when, you're, when, you're, when you're being harvested for judgment, being left behind... You want to be left behind. Look at this is Matthew 13. You want to be left behind. You absolutely do. It says, The Son of Man will send out His angels. They will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness. What's that word? Anybody? Just... Torahlessness. Uh, uh, that's, that's exactly what it is. It means to be against the Torah. And will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. You're going to have wailing and gnashing teeth. Dead bodies don't wail and gnash. And you ain't going to be doing it for the people that are out there. You'll be going, you know, righteous is the judge who has judged wickedness this way. No, yeah, we didn't. Clothes, yeah, perfect. Put it outside. Yeah. Where the dogs are and the weeping and the nasty yep. teeth. And uh, as you did earlier, I just couldn't help but think of the leper being put outside. Like a dead part of the community. Yep. You know, you're like a dead man. Yep. But you are still alive. That's right. Yep, very good. I think this correlation is very good there. Uh, Matthew 23, who wants to read verses 31 through 46? Long one. All right, I'll read it. I got it. I got it. All right. 25. 31 through 46. 31. Here we go. All right, 25, 31. Two, three, four, six, six, seven. And when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another. As the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will come to those on his right. Come, you who are blessed with my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger, and invite you in, or naked, and clothe you? When did we see you sick, or in in prison? And come to you. The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. And naked, and you did not clothe me sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when do we see a hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison 
and didn't take care of you, then you will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Okay, two groups of people. By the way, this is not a parable. I don't care what anybody says, it's not a parable. Parables are one thing. Usually begins with a, it's like something. <laughs> it usually begins with some sort of similitude, you know, as all parables in the Talmud and other places in Jewish literature do. This is not a parable. This is the, this is the, the he's giving a description of something that's going to happen. Two groups of people. How do we define these two groups of people other than one going to everlasting life and other having everlasting, what does he say? Uh, everlasting punishment. Not everlasting death or whatever, annihilation, punishment. Okay, so two groups of people. Don't define them by everlasting punishment, everlasting life. Give me another definition. They both call him Lord. They both call him Lord. What's the difference between them? Their actions. Their actions, and what are their actions? Walking an aisle, raising a hand, praying a sinner's prayer. None of those things are wrong, by the way. But is that what defines them? In particular, and by the way, that's the perfect word to use, because that's the word that we use that it's translated into Greek, that we see in Acts chapter 10, where Peter, or excuse me, where Cornelius gets the attention of the Almighty God, a Gentile, who cannot go into, can't go into the temple and pray and worship. God hears him because of his alms and his prayers. So that's a great word to use, sadaka. But in particular, what kind? Who's it given to? Which brethren? His brothers. These two gentlemen sitting right here. These two gentlemen have fed Jewish people that were hungry. Welcome to the kingdom. When you realize that. When you start stacking things up in importance, guys, that's a pretty big one, isn't it? I mean, that's like, this is what he says. This is the difference between them. You saw them and you didn't do anything. By the way, I have, I have a son that's worked in a food bank in Jerusalem. And I have another son that daily defends Jewish people who are in prison and being persecuted. So, get busy. I mean, everybody. Really, get busy. Because this is, this is our calling. Our, it's our master's brothers. They're our master's brothers. Whether you're Jewish or not, you have, a, you have an obligation to stick up for the family. Right? When you see the family hungry, you feed the family. When the family has a need, you provide for the family. It doesn't matter if they're believers or not. Provide for the family. Okay? And even, I mean, stretching also past that too, if you think about the scripture from the prophets, and how often God makes a huge deal out of taking care of the poor, yep. providing for the needy. And, um, I mean, unfortunately, I think that oftentimes in our lives, especially in America, we have so whitewashed our societies to remove the poor from our, from our presence. Sure. That it's, uh, that's, that's what the government does for us. Government takes care of that. It's a challenge to, to take care of the Absolutely. And, and not to minimize taking care of all needy, but our first obligation is Jew first. This is our master. It's his, it's his brothers. Right? Let's continue. By the way, my point here was not that, but one's everlasting punishment, everlasting punishment, and the other's everlasting life. Eternal life is what it says there. Actually, it's the same word all the way through. It's interesting, the translators, they switch. And they... In the New Testament, in the Apostolic Scriptures, new translators constantly switch between everlasting, it's the same version, everlasting versus eternal, it's always the same word. Uh, zoe is the life, and uh, the, the word everlasting or, or uh, eternal is where we get the word eon from. 
um, Matthew 20, see, Matthew 25. Is that it? Yeah. No, where did I, did I miss one here? It's on the next page. Oh, Revelation. Okay, I'll go back one. There we go. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Someone want to read that? Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the, book, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. The death in Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Judged by our works. By the way, I've heard it explained away, and it's very easy to explain this away, unfortunately. Paul talks about being judged by works as well. Uh, so he can't explain it away. We're being judged by works. And not to upset too many people, but isn't belief work? It should be. And that's the problem is, we, we've, that's the difference between hand knowledge and hard knowledge. <laughs> I was like, okay, you know, they, you can't have two of the, you can't have two of the same classification, knowledge, at polar opposites. can't have it. Well, it's, it's impossible. There's no such thing as belief without work. You can classify having humble thoughts as a work, but having faith-filled thoughts is not a work. You know what I'm saying? It's like choosing to do something that's entirely in your head in one direction is a, is a good deed, but choosing to follow God is not a good deed. Yeah. Well, just to kind of pick up on that, you can't, if you truly believe something, it has to impact how you live. Or you don't believe it. Or it's just a preference. That's right. That's why I like, I like, when I read faith, I like in my head, and it's not the same word, but I like in my head to hear the word faithful. Because it's based on, on the concept of, of, we get the word amen. It's true. Emet. It's truth, right? It's truth. So, what is the, and the way that the Hebrew scriptures use the word, it talks about sustaining and upholding, right? So, in other words, it's true, I hold it up. So, faith, without holding it up, is, is not faith. I mean, it's, it's totally, whereas if I use the Greek word, it's like, well, it's a little bit flightier, and it can mean different things. Uh, you know, where repentance, same thing, Greek, Greek, you know, it's like a change of mind. No, it's not a change of mind. It's a turn. You have to physically turn around. <laughs> and that's not to, to um, detach ourselves from the grace and mercy of God, but ultimately salvation is by grace, not by faith. It's by faith, but it's by grace through faith. That's exactly right. Unfortunately, most believers, although they know that verse, believe that they're saved by faith. I'm a faith-saved believer. If you're truly saved by faith, then you are saved by works. Yeah, which I'm okay with. <laughs> But we need to redefine the terms then, yes. I bother, I bother Alex every time I say that. But he, I, hope he thinks he, I, think, I hope he knows what I mean now. I do, absolutely. 2 Corinthians 3.9, I have to say this. Uh, if the ministry of condemnation has had glory, the ministry of righteousness overflows with even more glory. And I see right. the two 
death and contempt, life and righteousness, they're connected. They're always connected. And, and that, another thing, it, it, it's, it's a problem in the visible church, because, because Paul himself says, we're not only uh, rescued from the coming wrath, and that is an escape, but also from this present evil age. Absolutely. So it's already... Just the church passing over verses that are clearly in, like Galatians, for example. The, the scriptures, and, and it's not to say, you know, we don't want to be, be too broad a brush. When we talk about Christian theology, there's deep, pious people that don't believe. They're just hoping to get somehow escape in the end. They believe in, a, in living a, a life that's pleasing to God. So I'm not, I'm not putting that broad brush on it. What I'm saying, though, is, is the end result. The pews are filled with people that are just waiting to get out. And by the, on the way, I'll have a little fun. Right, right. <laughs> That's self-deception. Yeah. yeah. Since it's next week is Passover, that verse is what it's all about. That's right, Passover. We are escaping the coming wrath. And it is the wrath of God which we will escape. Not, by the grace of that's God. right. Yep. It is the wrath of God. And His people in Egypt were able to escape the same wrath, the wrath of God. That's right. That's our salvation. Absolutely. And grace through faith. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, by the way, I have to say, it is a wonderful thing to hear a young man read, knowing that, read scripture, knowing that his mother and father taught him to read it. That's okay. awesome. <laughs> That's cool. Somebody else had something there? Well, just, just the, you know, the only reason you would have the Spirit to empower you to do any of this in the first place, the works, as it were, mm-hmm. is back to the, the, the grace part. You don't have the Spirit dwelling in you without... Of course not. Yeah, absolutely. It's all it all fits. Revelation twenty two. I'll read this one. I think it's yeah. Blessed are those who do his commandments. <laughs> Actually, I had a guy tell me that's not really there. Have you looked at the Greek? <laughs> uh, Blessed are those who do his commandments. They said, Actually, this is the way it was. That's not found in the most reliable translations. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Okay, we have inside people that are faithful, outside people that are not faithful. This this was... uh, New King James, which would be the not reliable translation in the man's term. You probably have an NASB. Very good, actually. I like that too, as well. But knowing, coming from a Hebraic background, I got no problem with that because I know what that means. If they're washing their robes, they're obedient to the commandments. That's the whole point, right? If they're washing their robes, they're going into the presence of God. What are they doing? They're following His protocol. And by the way, by the way, just so that you don't lose faith in the New King James, even though that you, maybe you should, uh, is if you move back, there's four times that the word commandments is used in, in the book of Revelation. And it's only that one time, which is, that was my response to him. I said, so, okay, so it's the least reliable translation, but what about these other passages that are also found in the majority text? So apparently you're just picking and choosing. Somebody over here? This might be obvious, but I just want to ask, just to be on the safe side, around Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, when you say, may your name be inscribed in the book of life, is this the same book of life? It is the same book of life, but Judaism doesn't read the book of Revelation. Well, most Judaism. We do. Of course, that's why I wanted to... Greater Judaism. Let me say greater Judaism. The Judaism that doesn't recognize my Judaism. How's that? What about the book of remembrance in Malachi? Absolutely. 
It's exactly the same book. Yeah, same book. Yeah. Yeah. That is very good. Yeah. Which kind of brings up, as Joke was talk, talking about, you know, Yartzeit. You know, uh, Book of Remembrance. You know, maybe we haven't died, but the majority of people will have died that are in that book. Right. Right. The Russian name, and then you have uh, you have the book of the uh, in between. Beno, Benomi, Benomi, or what? Uh, uh, ben, Benami. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. It's a regular Joe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a regular Jew. Excuse me. <laughs> is that on Rosh Hashanah, uh, when those books are open, those who are utterly righteous are inscribed in the book of life. Those who are utterly wicked are inscribed in the book of the wicked. And then those who are neither utterly righteous nor utterly wicked are, are in this third book. And the, and, and the idea is that beginning with Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, for that next ten days, the days of awe, they have uh, that is their opportunity to get off the fence in one, one yeah. way or the In other words, at the end of the day, yeah. you're in one book or the other. Yes. So this, this book of the book of the, of the undecided or in-betweens, whatever you want to call it. The in-betweens is actually the word. Yeah. I would rather you not be... But wait, actually, be, actually but to, be fair, to be fair, the in-betweens are not unrighteous people. They don't, it's not that they're, they've been wicked because they're not. The in-betweens actually are trying to remind God of their prayers and their alms that they did throughout the year. So it's not like, okay, I have 10 days to really make it up. It's, uh, I have 10 days to convince God that I've been doing it all along. <laughs> yeah. 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 If I remember correctly, the focus is, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the focus in those books is somewhat less on eternity and more focused on blessing for the, for the next year. Yeah. That's yeah, true. But, but that's all... It is tied together. As it should be, because that's our lesson. Uh, I got to move on, guys. Hi. Oh, you know something? That's backwards. The bracket on, the, on, my, on, my, on my printout's correct. The slide, it turned around. It's evil. It's Apple. Okay. Hi. Who can read that? Hi. Nefesh. Okay. Now, here's the, here's the interesting thing. Now, when we talk about Zoe, hey, the Greek, you got all sorts of, you have... Uh, what we get biology from, you have Zoe, it's like all sorts of different life, and ooh, one has a different quality to the other, and you can start picking and choosing, as the Greek mind would do, classification of life, right? But you don't get that with Hebrew. You get chai, and you get nefesh, and they're not inseparable. How do we know they're not inseparable? Because the first usage of both of them is in the same verse. <laughs> Genesis 1.20 says, Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living derived Living, that's derived from the word chai, creatures, which are derived from the word nefesh. And let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So, wait. So, living creatures have chai? Oh, that's what it says. And nefesh. That doesn't, that's confusing. Uh, actually, there's another word that, that modern Judaism likes to use, and actually it comes from Hasidic Judaism, and that's the word neshama, which is actually scriptural as well. But it's a, that's a, it's, it's, you know, it's like, 
immediately in, the, in, in, in seminaries, they go, great, it's perfect. It's like body, soul, and spirit. You know, and it's not. It doesn't work that way. So when you start trying to do the separation, I'm three parts. I'm three parts, right? I am three parts, right? Doesn't the Bible say I'm three parts? And I'm going to tell you, no, the Bible says you're one. Like he's one. We like to use the three parts because we may come from a Trinitarian background where we think that somehow that's significant. It's not. There's not three parts. There's one part. You're one. Yeah. Okay. That's right. When we wake up in the morning, the first thing we say, should say, I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful prayer. It's where, I'm convinced, it's where how great, thou, how great is thy faithfulness comes from uh, because that's the way it ends. <laughs> great is thy faithfulness. Uh, uh, you can say in Hebrew, you can say in English, it's a great prayer before you open your eyes. You know, it's the first thing I do every morning. In fact, it's so, it's so, so much a habit, sometimes I do it two or three times as I wake up slowly. <laughs> uh, but it's, yeah, it's, nish, uh, uh, it's the nishama. Nishmati, my, my nishama. Uh, but chai, and we're just going to look at these two words, chai and nefesh. Uh, look at the second usage of the word, because this is significant. Genesis 2.7 says, And Hashem, God, formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a lenefesh chai a living soul so that's where some people get the idea that nefesh is a soul but please don't don't think that it's we're united they certainly have different uh, aspects different characteristics but it's one be, you're one being okay chai and nefesh cannot be separated in that, in that way. Um, we do say that in the bedtime Shema. My soul and my, with my body will remain, right? Genesis, uh, that's the one I did already. Well, that separation, though, is, again, just a temporary state. It's not the intended way it's going to be. That's right. Ultimately. Asleep, or you are dead. So what was my point of doing all that? I had this printed on here as well. Somehow it didn't come out on this one. Anyway, it's, uh, this is from Lessons in Tanya. I love this. We had this last lesson, actually. For it, the divine name, Elohim, in other words, it is the divine name, conceals the supernal light that brings the world into existence and gives it light. Does that sound like John chapter 1? We talked about that last week. And that light is the life of men, right? And gives it life. And it appears as the world exists and is conducted according to the laws of nature. It appears that way. This is the secret of the universe. Really, I mean, honestly. You know, every scientist out there that doesn't believe that the Almighty God is an active role constantly is totally confused. He thinks it's clockwork. He doesn't know that it's actually the very light, the name of God that is concealed in supernal light that keeps it all functioning and gives it life. It appears to function on its own. It appears that life just springs into being. <laughs> it appears that my life, if all men understood the significance that every breath has in their relationship with an almighty God, everyone would fall and, on their knees and worship Him. Seriously, think about it. Life is about Him. Always, the people you see every day going about their, their lives, doing whatever they want, sinning, all manner of inhumanity, wickedness. They're breathing breath that God gives them every moment. That's amazing. That's life. Is that our life? Life is life. I, I always say, I'm sorry, don't confuse the mercy of God with 
That's right. It's exactly right. Always. We're going to have to go through these quickly. So we're going to take turns and read some and skip over others. These are the lists. I gave you a table. What I asked you to do, and it was kind of, I, I admit up front, it was kind of a trick question. <laughs> kind of. Not completely, but kind of. I asked you to say whether, that, whether the life you were reading about was physical, spiritual, or both. And that was the trick. Really, because ultimately is always is going to be both. Let's read them. Deuteronomy 6.5. I gave you 6.4. I apologize in your, in your homework. I said 6.4 as well. 6.5. My pronoun is 6.5. Soul is nephesh. This is the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Nephesh. How do you love God with all your nephesh? If it's just that invisible part of you. See, do you understand how people get so confused? Why we say, okay, there's three parts of me. There's the outside part of me. There's the inside part. There's two inside parts of me, you know. Kind of have a spirit and then I have a soul. And, you know, and, and that's where the head knowledge, heart knowledge thing comes in, you know. We start playing these games. Well, well, I'm saved in my spirit, but I'm not saved in my soul yet. It's like, come on. <laughs> a simple word study, I think, on some of that bitch, just looking at some of the uses. And some of it includes very, um, let's say, carnal, but like yeah. passions, desires, food. I'm yep. hungry, I want to eat, you know. Nefesh, you know. My has, soul perishes for food. That's right. It has this weird, almost bizarre blend of a very spiritual and extremely physical at the same time. Freud was wrong, but he had, the, he had a concept that was. I mean, I'm sorry, he was trained, whether he forgot it all or not. He was trained in the Torah. So Freud actually had a concept that, that we all suffer from a misapplication of, and that is that the, the nephesh really is me. But so is Kai. <laughs> Deuteronomy 30. This is good. I've got to read this one. This is one of my favorites. But the word is very near you. I read this at Joshua's graduation from high school. The word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments, His statutes, His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. This is your life. Why isn't this your life? What, what is life? Life good, death bad, right? <laughs> what's, what's the life part? What is it that your life? To keep His commandments. That's it. That's life. Not the byproduct is life. That's life. See, Judaism does know this deeply. That's life. They don't keep the commandments of God to earn Entrance into the kingdom of heaven, into the world to come. They keep commandments of God because they're Jewish and he's their king. It's like, why would you not? Now, I'm not saying all Jews. I'm saying Judaism, observant Judaism. They keep the commandments of God because of a relationship. He's the king, I'm the citizen. That's the way it works. It's a byproduct. It has nothing to. It's, irre, it's not related because this is talking about both. And the end result being, if you live your life that way, you will receive the blessing of God. Now and forever. Well, I mean, you know, we have to be reborn. Uh, and by we the do. Spirit, so 
No question. No question. I'm not going there. I'm just talking about that. I'm talking about the concept here of life being the part is is the relationship. Okay, the relationship is what we're talking about. Okay, so both that you may live. Both. How about Deuteronomy thirty twenty? Somebody read that for me. This is your life. What's your life? That you may love the Lord your God and obey His voice. That's that's. And by the way, you can't be an unbeliever and and, and do that. Right, right. And this, interestingly enough, I think helps emphasize the importance of the both principle because it says this is your life and the length of your days. That's right. Which to me, just thinking about that, almost implies that it's two separate things. That's right. This is your life, quality of your existence, and the length of your days, how long you'll be able to live that existence. And actually, that goes back again to Judaism. Judaism asks for God to give them wealth and other types of things so they would be able to keep the commands of God. That's that's like, wow, that's a no thought. That's it's like... <laughs> well, Deuteronomy 11, upon the ground. It's absolutely. Blessing upon the ground, the same thing. Deuteronomy 32, 45 through 47. Who wants to read that one? And keep going. Verse 47. For it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. And by this word, you will prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. Isn't that awesome? It's your life. This is, this, it's not, this is the way you get life or this is the way you live a better life. It's not saying that. See, that's the misapplication of Yeshua's words. I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I was like, well, I'm going to give up a better life. It's like, no. This is life. This is what you were created for. He breathed into you and you became a living soul. It's about relationship. Psalm uh, 1611. I'll read that one. Excuse me, it's Psalms 1611. Of David. A psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Redeems your life. Nefesh. Actually, that's Chai. Which one is it, Joseph? Do you have it there? Psalm 116, 11. Did I? Oh, I said I read one. No, no, no. It's the next one. I read the second one. Sorry about that. No, 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 just 16. 16. I'll read that one too. Show me. You show me the path of life. You show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. I love that verse. That's great. I can't believe I skipped it. At your right hand are pleasures forever. This is not talking about Islam's view of somehow, oh, well, great, I'm going to have pleasures forever. That's focused on the wrong thing. I don't know where Allah is in all of that. <laughs> Right? You're 72 virgins? I don't want that. I want Him. That's what I want. I don't want to go to heaven. I can stand here and I can tell you, absolutely, I don't want to go to heaven. If I'm sorry, if you were preaching at me on the street, I'd say the same thing. I don't want to go to heaven. 
I want to be where God is. Wherever it is, I don't care. That's what I want. I want the relationship. I don't want just to be where He is. I want to be in Him. That's what I want. It is, it is the Hasidic idea, and I think we have this later on, but the Hasidic idea of self-nullification. That's right. I'm gone. You know? It's like... It ain't about me. It ain't about me. It's about Him. Always about Him. Completely. Now that I skipped that one, let's go to Psalm 119. Somebody do Psalm 119. 93. That's right. By them you give me life. Now, in my business, it's all about not dying. Right? So I train people in safety to make wise choices. I give them the tools necessary to not die and kill other people. Right? That's the way that we think of life. Safety. That's not what this is speaking of, though, is it? This is both. It's both. Yep. Very good. Cool. Thank you. I think I, I think most of these are high. Not all of them. I think most of them are. Proverbs three, uh, Proverbs three eighteen. She, what is she? Wisdom. Proverbs three is about wisdom, and what is wisdom? Nothing but the words of God, right? She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. It's why the 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 staves on the on the Torah scroll are called trees of life. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. What a privilege it is. To, to make Aliyah to read the Torah. That's what you do. You take hold of the trees of life. To take hold of her. And happy are those who retain her. Don't just take hold of her. <laughs> Keep her. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Very. Yeah. Matthew seven thirteen through fourteen. Somebody read that for me. Enter ye, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, the broad and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in through it. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Mm. By the way, the the didache, the a document that most people believe was one of the first documents that, that the early believers had outside of Scripture. It's almost like a prayer book and an instruction book. It's actually called, the, uh, in English, it's usually called like uh, the teachings of the apostles. Um, it actually speaks a lot about the way of death and the way of life and gives the contrast between the way of death and the way of life. And the way of life, obviously, the following of the believer. What did the, what did the early believers call themselves? The way. And they're speaking of the way of life. Exactly what this is speaking of. By the way, who taught you how to read? Did your mother and father teach you how to read? See, I can't say that. I think that's an awesome thing to be able to say. It really is. Especially reading the Bible. Wow. Matthew 10.39. Uh, this is, one of, my, this is my father's, one of my father's favorite verses, so I'm going to read this one. Uh, my father is a martyr, by the way. So... Uh, he who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. It's interesting that that was one of his favorite verses before he was a martyr. What's the significance there? It's not just dying physical death. That's not. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Which almost indicates that it's... Zoe's and Suke are like Kind of, yeah. 
Please don't do the total separation on us, though. <laughs> Uh, Matthew 19, 16 through 17. Okay, I got it. Now behold, one came and said to him, said to him, I keep getting my favorites here. How does this work? Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Oh, I'm sorry. You can't do anything. You know, that's part of your problem. You think you can do something to get eternal life. How foolish of you. Don't you know that you can't do anything to get eternal life? Is that what he said? Our master, was he lying when he said this? Listen to what he said. So he said to them, Why do you call me good? No one is good. No one is good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter, want to, want to enter into life, keep the commandments. The church I know, they do. Well, they play games with it. Theological games. It's kind of like the, you know, it's kind of like the, the, uh, um, the charlatan God that, Tells you one thing and pulls the rug out from anything. Ah, you shouldn't have trusted me. I told you, but I was trying to teach you that you shouldn't trust me. And you right. can't keep those commands. Yeah, I told you. I wanted to. Sh- I would gave you an object lesson two thousand years long. What about all those people that went for the object lesson, believing that he said? Yeah, it's like never mind. <laughs> the point here is this is what Yeshua says, and we've heard all sorts of explanations. We only gave him seven. He didn't give him all ten. And what were the ones that were missing? Ooh. Look. He's telling you exactly what Deuteronomy 30 said and Deuteronomy 13 or 32 said and Deuteronomy 11 said. This is your life. These words that are giving are I'm, I'm giving you are your life. Why? Because they're about relationship with the Almighty King of the Universe. There's no way that anyone can have a relationship with God and not have life. That's what it's all about, right? Your next reference on this. Um, oh, did I? 3:36. Oh no! I have John three in here. Well, not that. <laughs> yeah, um, although it's funny, it says in John three thirty six, "He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him." Now, I haven't done a, a word study to figure out the, the kind of tenses here, but just in the English, we've got believing in the Son has eternal life, present tense, not will go to heaven, and we have those who do not obey the Son. The wrath of God abides on him, not will be judged, but they have it already. In a sense, it goes back to earlier when it says, he who does not have the Son is judged already. It's the idea that the judgment is that you don't have the Son. That's right. Like Absolutely right. Said, Perfect. The wrath of God no longer Perfect. Abides on it's not about what will happen when I die. It's about now. Right. You are currently, exactly. You are currently one or the other. Do you know that when I, was, when I was preparing this lesson to start with, when I was writing it, it was the tense of have eternal life in First John that started me down this path. It's present tense. It's like I don't get eternal life. I don't get to go to heaven. <laughs> I don't want to go there anyway. I don't get eternal life. I have life. I have eternal life. And it's him. And it's him. Well, we're going to see that in a second. John 10.10. 10. Somebody want to read that one? How many, how, many, how many church programs have the abundant life? Come exercise with us at, on Tuesday nights. Uh, the abundant life. We're going to build the abundant life gym. Really? I'm serious. Countless, countless family life centers 
have the word abundant as part of their uh, reason to be, their purpose. Victory. 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 Well, yeah, that too. Okay, but why is, why is that? Why do they do that? That's right. You got you hit, you hit the nail on the head. If we go back to the day, build, days of building cathedrals, they had miserable lives. And they built cathedrals because they had to have some belief that God was greater than their miserable lives. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how much wealth you have, how, how well you're doing, you still know your life is miserable and they keep telling you you're going to have abundant life. They're lying to you because they, what they're telling you is it has nothing to do with what the words mean that Yeshua said when he said, you have life more abundant. Because life is about a relationship. Not about feeling better about myself. I'm slim, I'm trim. I do really good in business because I have this inside club and, and you know, I witness a lot you know, and I have very good success EE every Thursday night. That's right. That's right. They want to be able to pray to somebody to fix their problems. I'm, I'm, I'm not speaking as someone who doesn't share those same issues. I'm telling you, those are all. These are all the distraction. We're talking about a person, and you know, even to call him a person, it seems almost too diminutive. We're talking about the very creator of the universe who breathed life into us. And in that, gave us an everlasting need for Him. I mean, if you can't have Him, what would it matter where you were? If you get annihilated, there's no hell. Let's just get annihilated. Why is that good? Well, I won't suffer. But you don't have Him. Do you understand how negative... If everybody knew that every breath that they breathed came from the one that gave them breath because he wants to have a relationship with them, to be united with them, it's almost beyond comprehension. The infinite and the finite in such close proximity. That's profound. Wow, man, how, how are we losing all this? I was going to read the next... Please do. Well, oh, everybody's picking their favorite now. Good, good. I'd like it. Or are you trying to get me to move on? <laughs> no, I just love this. Even, even the world today, I think, is starting to see, you, I mean, you see in pop culture and media and other things, the emphasis on relationships and how, you know, it's not about what you did in life or what you achieved or what, but who did you know? And we're still focusing on human relationships, but it's partly, it displays that hunger, that need we have to a, know someone. We have any, listen, listen to me carefully. Because your scripture should confirm it. You're an eternal soul. Punishment or reward doesn't matter. You have an eternal soul. You have an eternal desire for the one who breathed breath into you. You have an eternal desire. Not able to have that will be incomprehensible. Because the people who live today still have the option of potentially getting it. But once you're in eternal suffering, you're separated from God and born. That's the suffering, Yes. That's fine, absolutely. Uh, verse 47. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. 
rather than not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings as one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him in the last day. Mm. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Mm. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Very good. Well, there's Jesus' commands and there's God's commands. Like, no, man. If he if he's if he's God, it's the same. <laughs> That's right. But also, I like this contrast here too. Again, eternal life. Your commandments, eternal life. This the commandment himself saying this. So obviously, Messiah is not talking about your commandment allows me to get into heaven, as though Messiah needed permission to get into heaven. It's the concept of your commandment is eternal life. Yeshua had eternal life. Not only because of divinity, but because he was obedient. But I also like, he says, if you don't receive my sayings, I'm not going to judge you. The word, which is the word that has always been there. That's right. And has always been the judge, is going to be the judge again at the last day. I don't see that this is just for Jews clause either. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Y'all are just making it so easy. All right, John 20. Uh, I'll read this one. John 20, 31. We've got to hurry up here. Uh, but these are written that you may believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. That's so cool. Because we've talked about the name, knowing that the name is the embodiment of the person. So we're talking about have life in Him. Um, John, by the way, if you follow the themes of John, these... All these First John themes are John's themes. John loves these words. Uh, Romans, uh, Romans 12, 5-7, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good. It's ironic that Paul, in the first few chapters of Romans, so demolishes Torah observance in some people's minds. And yet right there in chapter 2, he says, obey, eternal life. Yep. Uh, Galatians 2.20 The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Now, he's not saying, you know, I was like, well, boy, if I didn't have faith, it'd be really miserable. You know, well, it may, may not be miserable, but that's not the point. He's saying it's, it's his relationship, that faith relationship, God says is true. I obey him. I have a relationship. My, my obedience to him is a mark of that relationship. But even more than that, it is the way that I participate in the last, you know, the, you know, people do this all the time with Colossians, where they say, you know, that's a shadow. You have Jesus now. You don't need the shadow. It's like, you want to ask him, they'll go, okay, let's accept that that's true for just a moment. When was the last time you saw him? I get to see him every day. I see him in the things that I do that he told me to do. Now, they may be a shadow, but it's a whole lot better than your Jesus. Invisible. Invisible Jesus. Colossians 2, oh, there it is. When Messiah, who is our life, appears. He's our life. Your life is hidden with Messiah and God. But when Messiah appears, you also will appear. It's like, what? <laughs> well, that means I'm going to meet him in the air. We're going to come back down. I was like, well, we are going to meet him in the air, but that's not what that's talking about. First John. Let's read these. <clears throat> First John 5.11. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his... Son. 
John, and 1 John 5, uh, 16 says, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and if he gives, and, and he will give him life for those who, do, who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say you should pray about that. We've oftentimes thought of this as a physical death. It's both, isn't it? If they're in a sin leading to death, they're not living. They're not alive. They don't have life. Right? Don't pray about that. Hmm. Kind of sobering. First John 5.20 this, this is the true God and eternal life. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true in His Son, Messiah Yeshua. And this is the true God and eternal life. He's, it's all one package. You can't have eternal life without having Him. And you can't have Him without having eternal life. Eternal security is super easy with this one. Super easy. We don't need Calvin to explain it. We really don't. If you have Him, you have life. God would have to die. That's right. It's like, how's that work? Uh, I'm going to look at this real quickly. Genesis 21.33 says, Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and they're called... Ooh, what's that? That's uh, the seven O's or Wells. Wells, right? And they're called in the name of Hashem, the everlasting God. And it's... Yeah, it's Hashem's name, El Olam. Eternal. It's not God that lives forever. That's not what that means. It means, that's his name. He's El Elon. El Olam. He is God eternal. Gotcha. I think it also, it seems to me to be connected to the actions that Abraham does. Abraham plants a tree which has in it a sense of permanence, a sense of extension, but also a concept of claiming. You know, he just has the covenant of the Philistines in the passage right before that. That's right. He sees that God is God of the entire world, which is also the word Allah. He sees that God is the God of everything, always. It's, it's not just a a extension without end, it is the idea that God is always God, all the time, everywhere, at all times, forever. He's eternal. Well, that's what I was hoping to get to, but we don't have time. <laughs> Deuteronomy 30.20. <laughs> Deuteronomy 30.20. It doesn't say that He gives you life. He breathed into us the breath of life. It doesn't get any better than that, right? It says He is our life. It says, this is our life. Speaking of the commandments. In Deuteronomy 30, it says, He is your life. In John 17, this is, I have to read this one. This is Yeshua, Yeshua praying for His disciples, us by extension. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Messiah Yeshua who you've, who you, whom, you, who you, whom you have sent. That's eternal life. Eternal life is knowledge, a relationship with God. That's eternal life. You can't have eternal life and then not have eternal life. You have a relationship, you don't. And just to allay any fears, I don't tell people you want to go to heaven. Of course, we know you don't. I say this, because we know Yeshua is the way, the truth, and the life. Not to a bigger house, to a better job, but to the Father. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Is he enough? Yeah. And if he's not, then you're an idolater. That's right. The blessings of God without God. That's right. And that's actually the last verse of 1 John 5, which really doesn't make any sense on its own. It says, little children, keep yourselves from idolatry. You're looking at it and you're going, uh, what is this talking about? But if you think about it in the context of what we're talking about tonight, what are the what are the uh, the people coming to the people of First John's writing written to? They're telling them, 
God's not enough. You know, his whole faith relationship thing is not working for you. You need, you need deeper knowledge. Yeah. Just, like special elevation. Yeah. And what yes. is John coming back and saying? You have life. How can it get better than this? John's saying, you've got life. You've got all that matters. So keep yourself from idolatry. Don't go for all this other stuff. Go for God. Very well said. The last verse... The last verse in this 1 John 5, 11 through 13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Not so that you can figure out if you're saved. That's not what it says. That you can know you have eternal life. And how do we know that? That you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And what is this whole passage, this chapter 5, talking about? Keep His commandments. This is how you know if you, have, if you, if you love your brother. Keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. All right. Rather than escapism of going to heaven when we die, the biblical focus of eternal life is to be with Him. To be subsumed. Betul. That's that Hasidic. Subsumed. Subsumed. I don't matter. Self nullification. I didn't. I didn't. Subsumed. Subsumed. Subsumed means to be drawn inside. Into Him now, in loving and obeying Him. To live life by His design according to His commandments is life abundant. It is. It is abundant life. You know, it doesn't mean that we smile all the time. It doesn't mean that we don't have days where we trip and fall, because we do. But he makes, per- he makes allowance for that. shouldn't say make allowance. He makes provision for that. Because He always has His hand out metaphorically, asking us to repent. And to spend our eternal existence with Him is eternal life, to be with the eternal one. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Messiah, Yeshua, whom you have sent. John 17. Any final comments before we close? Had to rush there, sorry. Dan. Thank you very much. Oh. I was going to turn off them pray, but I'll pray first. Remember, eyes to wheeze. Eyes to wheeze, yes. Eyes to wheeze. Eyes to wheeze. If you haven't done it, it's hard. It's hard. It is. We thank you, O Adonai, our God, that you have established our portion with those who dwell in the steady hall, and you have not established our portion with idlers. For we arise early, and they arise early. We arise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. We toil, and they toil. We toil and receive reward, and they toil and do not receive reward. We run and they run. We run to the life of the world to come, and they to the run to the pit of destruction. As is written, and you, O God, you will lower yourself into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for us, as for me, we, I, will trust in you. Amen. Amen.